Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Hey, usually on Tuesdays, it's just me here talking about whatever topic is going on in my mind, something I've witnessed in business. And then on Thursdays, I bring really smart guests where we do a deep dive on their expertise. But I'm shaking it up a little bit today on a Tuesday because I have a special guest. Jill Scheffelbein is here in Austin. Now, for those of you who are involved in the National Speakers Association, and I know a lot of my friends listen to this podcast, you all know who Jill is. She was the co-chair of Influence 2018, uh, the large National Speakers Association gathering of 3,000 speakers. For those of you who are introverted, I know that that just scared the crap out of you. 3,000 professional speakers all in one room, that would frighten you. And uh, it frightens me, actually. But uh, she co-chaired that program and did a wonderful job. But she is in Austin today in order to speak for the Austin chapter of the National Speakers Association, where she's going to do a program called 20 Ways to Repurpose Your Content. Now, we live in a world where we all have to do content marketing. If you've got a business and you're not putting content out there, you're not getting found. Uh, those of you who know me know that I recently went to a class, a three-day class, on how to be more findable on the internet, all about search engine optimization, the use of social media and video, and I've revamped how I'm doing everything with my website, so I'm very tuned in to this topic. So Jill is here. She's also a friend of mine, so she stayed at my house, so she's one of a handful of guests ever to be on the show where we recorded this face-to-face -face live in the spacious, uh, modern Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do recording studio, which is actually my oldest daughter Jackie's bedroom that has never been converted to anything since she moved away to college four years ago. So it still looks like a teenage girl's bedroom, and it is where uh, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do comes to you every week. So I asked Jill if she would uh, do a special uh, interview to talk about how to repurpose your content. And in addition to that, I just realized Jill is one of the few people there may only be two, there could be three, I'd have to really go research this, who has ever been on this show three times. Jill's been interviewed twice for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and this will be her third time. That means that she and Jessica Pettit, and maybe one other person, should get like a special jacket like you get on Saturday Night Live if you've hosted 10 times. Uh, before we get started, though, I do want to thank one of the sponsors of this episode, so many of you, you offer special physical products to your fans and your customers, but we all know that packing them up and going to the post office, that sucks and it steals all your time. Well, my friends at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you fully control, and they are the people who take care of printing the Try New Things t-shirts. And you can go buy a shirt right now at trynewthings.shop. In fact, stop everything Go to trynewthings.shop and order yours. We've got them in men's sizes. We've got them in women's sizes. I wear my shirt in the airport and people stop me all the time and say, that is awesome. Where do I get that shirt? And fortunately, I'm able to tell them, trynewthings.shop. Ah, but I digress from Amplifier. They actually can integrate with your e-commerce shop, whether you're a giant company or you're a one-man shop like I am. 
And on demand, it means no risk of inventory. They print them as they come, but if you want to print inventory, they also have a warehouse and they'll take care of all your order fulfillment. Go over now to amplifier.com slash cool things and meet my friends at Amplifier. So let's talk about content. Hello, Jill Shufflebein, and welcome back to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I feel honored to be here for, holy cow, the third time. And I have to say, you're talking about the studio in your oldest daughter's bedroom, and the topic of the show today is repurposing. So it's very appropriate that we are in a repurposed oldest daughter's bedroom away at College Studio. That's, that's why we had the interview in here, is it was totally easy. Not because I was too lazy to move the equipment into the kitchen. You know, we all have our reasons for doing what we do. <laughs> so, Jill, thank you for coming to Austin to speak for the National Speakers Association. Tell us a little bit about what you're going to say today when you talk about 20 ways to repurpose your content. One of the things that any business owner, and I don't care if you're a business of one or a business of you know 20,000, anyone who owns a business is always looking at ways to increase efficiencies and reduce costs because that means you have higher profits. I don't know anyone who is in business not for higher profits. I love profits. Profits are happy things. And when we look at what we need to do in order to stay current and to be found in today's information economy, content marketing rises to the top of those things. And when you're looking at content marketing, it's hard for some people to make the case to the C-suite that we need to be investing all this money because there is not always an immediate payoff to content marketing, which is why you'll see people doing fads and sticking with them for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months and saying, ah, this didn't work and moving on to something else. Well, what I'm talking about today is 20 different ways to repurpose your content for both publicity and profit and how to emphasize that sticking with whatever idea you pick and that consistency is what's going to pay off in the long term. So that's what I found when I went to this class on, on findability. I went to Heather Lutze's Findability University, and you and I have a lot of friends who put on classes for and courses for other speakers and, and things like that. It was one of the best courses I ever went to. It, it really changed sort of how I did my website, and uh, she had a tool. It wasn't her tool, but she had a tool where you could grade your website, and I graded like a 68 on findability, on sort of the searchability, the way Google saw my website, and I now rank a 92, which is almost as high as you can get. And uh, so it, it was really good. But one of the things was, is this is a long-term play. You have to constantly be working the strategy. But also, the thing is, you have to realize that uh, you, what you write in content may not be found today. It might be found four years from now. So your writing isn't something that you should look at, or your content in any, any way isn't something you should look at and say, well, of course, this is going to be, uh, I'm going to be rich by a week from Friday, Right. I would really wish it was that way because I would be rolling in it right now if that were the case. But in reality, it's not. I have, I guess where this talk came from, the genesis of this talk, and I think it's actually quite interesting, is because I was stubborn as heck about getting an investment to pay off for me. So in 2012, I decided that my first business, which I no longer run, was to help people become be better public speakers, better presentation skills, better on-camera skills. And it was really a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-small group within training models business. And it did fine, but I lost my zest for it. I didn't want to do it anymore. But back then, I thought, if I'm claiming to be great at speaking, 
and I'm claiming to help other people do better on camera, what better way to showcase that than to get myself on camera and put that out as content? In 2012, most people were still advocating blogs, 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 and I said, you know what, that doesn't fit for me. I'm gonna do video. So I made a 52 video series, one minute videos a pop, dropped them out once a week for an entire year, and at the end of that year on YouTube, had 60,000 views. Now, I know a lot of people would be thrilled with 60,000 views on their YouTube channel, but I had invested five grand in this video shoot, in the editing, and hair and makeup, the lighting, all that jazz, and I had not seen that back yet because my videos did not go viral. You know, I... I <laughs> what? You mean you post something on YouTube and you didn't have a million views? I know. Can you imagine? But I was livid. I'm like, no, this is good stuff. And so two things happened is one, I had a fundamental belief that my content was good, high quality, and would help people. And I think a lot of us don't truly embody that belief with everything we put out. And my question to you is, if you don't embody that belief, if you're not willing to fight for your content's visibility with that fierceness, why are you putting it out in the first place? That's number one. Number two is then I geeked out and learned everything I could about YouTube to try to figure out how I could get more people to watch my videos. Now, I don't necessarily advocate that you do that, but what I realized is after changing a few things around, I jumped from 60 to 90,000 views in three months. And then it kept growing. It's over a million now, double national syndication offers. I write for Entrepreneur uh, Magazine because I can trace it back to YouTube videos. And I'm not saying it's gotten me rich, but I can tell you that that content strategy and sticking with it for close to five years has paid off in multiple six figures of business that I can trace back to the root of those videos. So you say something interesting. You started by saying you created these videos for a business you no longer have, and yet it's spinning off business for the business that you do have today, which goes back to what we're talking about, about the long tail of actually creating content. It's so true. And listen, any business you're going to start, anything that I do is in the area of communication. I was a professor for 11 years in business communication. That's my real expertise. And it's communication and decision making, how people will make faster decisions about whether to contact you from your marketing, whether to buy from you from your sales, whether to listen to you from your leadership. So presentation skills is not too far off course from that. It's kind of in the same area. But the thing is this, in our information democracy that we have now, we have more access to information than ever before. Case in point, the role of the expert has fundamentally changed, which is infuriating for some of you out there who are like, wait, I really am an expert in this, and there's a lot of hacks out there putting stuff out and beating me at the content game, which is incredibly frustrating. But they're beating you because of their consistency and visibility. So when you think about that, how an expert rises to the top, the role of the expert fundamentally changing is in this example. Think about the last time you weren't feeling so well. Maybe you had a raspy cough, something like you'd never really experienced before, but you know, you weren't on your deathbed. You're not dying. So you go your normal routes, you take some over-the-counter medication, it's not getting better, and eh, you should probably get some more help. So what do you do? You Google it before you pick up the phone and call the real expert, your doctor. If we're doing that for things that are as literally life and death potentially <laughs> as our health, why on earth would we, to learn things that are non-life or death essential, do any different? 
So the long-term play is positioning your content with consistency over time so that when people have questions and they're searching in forms of questions on Google, through Siri, through Google Home, through Alexa, hey Alexa, tell me what's the best thing in here. Hey Alexa, what's the best restaurant to eat at? Hey Google, What's the most effective way to calm a sore throat? Whatever it is, we're searching in terms of questions. Your content must address those questions and you must have such a bulk of it online that over the long term, the computers understand that you are the go-to reputable source to answer these questions. Hey Alexa, what's the best podcast for entrepreneurs? Cool things entrepreneurs do. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So, (laughs) sorry, I couldn't resist. So, As people are doing this, though, where do they start? I know for a lot of small business people, I mean, larger businesses have people who run content. They have entire marketing departments. But what does the small business person, what is the maybe the solo entrepreneur or the person with a handful of employees? um, Coming up in a few weeks, there's going to be a great interview with two young guys who run a transportation company. They started off with black cars, and now they have buses, and they do large convention and and, uh, high-scale upper-end transportation around Austin. And it's going to be a great interview. Uh, But what recommendation would we have for them if they do transportation, black car and limo service, party buses? uh, What type of content should they be putting out and how in the world would they repurpose it? Excellent question. And I love you gave me a specific example. So the first thing you do is this. You go on to both Google Suggest and my favorite tool for understanding questions, answerthepublic.com. Love love answerthepublic.com. Even though I don't always know what to use. I love it from the standpoint that it's just fun to type in topics and see what questions it gives you. It does. And so the idea of this tool is that you type in some keywords. So for example, mass transportation or party buses or group transportation. And then what you do, you click submit. This tool generates every question that is being asked on Google and Bing, because some people still use Bing, don't understand that. Who? Who are they? I don't know. You know, hey, Alexa, who are the people that still use Bing? Hey, listeners of the show, if you're a Bing user, send me a a tweet at at cool podcast and say, Tom, I'm a Bing user. Shut up. (laughs) In any event, you search that and then it comes up with all of these questions that are being asked about that keyword or key phrase or that topic. What I do then is I look at all those questions. I highlight the ones that are directly relevant to my company. So for example, if I did group transportation, but I didn't do party buses and I didn't do bachelor or bachelorette parties or anything like that, I would cross out any of the responses that dealt with that type of thing, would focus on the thing that what's the cons of group transportation, what's the best charter bus company in Austin, all the different questions that would apply. Then I would go to Google Suggest, and you all know what Google Suggest is. You use it every day, most likely, but you don't know it's called Google Suggest. You know when you start to type something in the search bar in Google and things are suggested below it? That's Google Suggest. Google Suggest is always smarter than I am. I'm always surprised. I'll be looking for something really weird, and I just type in a few letters, and it already suggests what I'm looking for. Apparently, I'm not the only person who looks for weird things. You know, and it's comforting to know that sometimes. But what Google Suggest does do, if you're using an incognito window to search, if you don't know how to do that, Google incognito window. By the way, anytime you search on Google when you're doing research on yourself, you should use an incognito window because your computer memorizes where you go and what you do. So if you visit your own website a lot 
and then you Google something related to your website, it's going to throw you up higher in the searches because it's making decisions for you. An incognito window, it pretends you're not you. I love that Tom's applying everything he just learned at Heather's Findability Camp right now. Excellent. Gold star student. So yeah, so you figure out what's being searched for most and then create content around that, but don't make it a one-time piece of content. And that's where most people screw this strategy up. So let's say for your transportation friends here, they were searching for uh, group charter bus transportation options, Austin. And someone asked, what are the group charter bus transportation options in Austin? They want to create multiple, and I'm talking dozens of pieces of content around that, which then begs the question, I don't have the time or resources to produce a dozen different pieces of content around this question. And that's where the magic of repurposing comes in. My strategy for this is to take one simple thing, and I'm going to use this podcast episode as an example of how you could focus strictly on one topic. So our topic today is what is repurposing or what is the best way to repurpose content would be the question that someone could ask for this. First and foremost, everything that you produce that has audio or text, which is pretty much going to be everything, or images, definitely images, always, 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 always. Should should they always do what you're about to say? They should have video of it. So that's so funny because the first thing you said to me when we did this is, this isn't video, is it? (laughs) I know, right? Boy, oh boy, I see how this works. Video for everybody else, but But, not for my um, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Throw me under the bus there. Funny since we're talking about transportation. Of course, we are recording this at eight in the morning, so neither one of us has showered or done our hair or anything. Like, I have so much hair to worry about. But uh, yeah, we didn't do video of this recording, but I understand where she's going. So you have video set up because the thing about video is you can extract audio from it. You can get still shot imagery from it. One single podcast episode could turn into 25 plus pieces of content. So, so okay, help me with this because that's one thing people tell me all the time is, are you repurposing the podcast? And I'm like, it goes on iTunes and Stitcher uh, and my website. So let's back up a step. How could I put this out 20 to 25 different ways? Well, spoiler alert, you're going to find that out in my presentation today. But what I'll do for everyone listening too is I have a graphic that helps explain this. So I'll make sure Tom gets it so he can append it to the show notes at some point in time. But I need to make a landing page website for this. I'm losing my own traffic. This is. <laughs> I was just going to say, we should be going to like, you know, Jill Scheffelbein or whatever, or your web, <laughs> dynamic speaker, whatever your, your, your web. What is your website? Thedynamiccommunicator.com. We should be going to thedynamiccommunicator.com slash cool things and getting this. You know what? We can, we can work on setting that up. With, with this, you take that single base episode. Now that we know that people are searching in the form of questions, and just for statistic purposes, because I'm a geek, between 2014 and 15, the number of searches that started with the word how-to increased by 770%. And it's been on an upward climb. Now, not that drastic because obviously it caught on, but it's been on an upward climb ever since. So when we know that people are searching more in the form of questions, we make content that addresses questions. Well, in an example of a podcast interview, now you could do this with any type of designed piece of content, interviewing a client, interviewing someone in your organization, interviewing another expert that does something similar to what you do, or you could do it by creating your own video, a longer form video that answers questions. You could even take an existing speech that you have and chop it up this way because in any content that you produce, and in this podcast in particular, you'll notice that already I've answered at least three, four, five, six, I've lost count 
questions. Well, then you divide that content up by the question that is being answered. Then you have, let's say, five different videos, five different audio clips. You still have the master video file. You still have the master podcast. You get a transcript of the podcast immediately. Divide that into five questions. That's five different blog posts with about 20% of it needing to be edited. You want that to extrapolate to social media instead of just the cool thumbnail image that you do bring out. And you do a nice job with those, Tom, with the images and headshots and everything. Those are nice. Well, now you can do those with five different quotes from each episode. So you have different ways to promote each episode, not just with the image and the logo, but with a quote from it. And that's just, you know, you could do that in email. You can upload it to different sites. There's so many different ways to go about it, but the base of it starts with getting video. So you can do multiple repurposing avenues from audio, video, screenshot shares, etc. So going back to the gentleman who owned the transportation company. So if they do like a marketing video mm-hmm. where they talk about transportation and the great cars that they have and the great, you know, super modern buses that they have, and it's sort of a marketing piece of content, how could they then take that and repurpose it? So they can divide that piece of content. So let's say it's a three minute video, right? And it's a beautiful three minute video about the company, the different options they have, et cetera. Well, they can chop it up by options, which is how I would do it. So what are black car services? What are bus services? What are group transportation or big limo or whatever it is? I don't know their products, obviously, but divide it up by that. Take different parts of the video. And this is where getting someone who can design a smart video really is useful because if you design things smart from the get-go, you'll have easy choppability points. Ooh, choppability. I'm going to I'm going to coin that right now. Choppability, that's my word. <laughs> the queen of choppability. Just <laughs> Everybody who lives in Austin knows that that we're a little cautious of the word chop because the number one urologist in Austin who does vasectomies is actually named Dr. Richard Chop. Ooh, ouch. Think about that for a minute. When he was in med school, it's like, huh, what should I specialize in? My name is Dick Chop. What should I do? Oh, I'll do vasectomies. So he might might own choppability. He might (laughs) In any event, we'll just call it that for now and take images of vasectomies out of our heads for the time being. (laughs) But when you think about how you're going to design a video or a piece of content, when you design it, have that script done, have the imagery done around answering those questions and do it in a way where then in the full video, you have some beautiful transitions that go seamlessly from one point to another, but the core pieces of the video can easily be choppable or dissected, whatever word we want to use. And then you can leverage those in the same type of repurposing strategy I just talked about for the podcast, keying in on the questions that are being asked. And so you can be more easily found and especially for a locally based company. So for those of you who own local based companies out there, making sure you append the location onto any type of description, any type of title, et cetera, is hugely important. Making sure you have that Google maps presence, making sure you're geotagging everything in platforms where you can geotag all incredibly important to get more of that local search traffic your way. So this sounds like a lot of work. It is a lot of work initially, but I love, 
I mean, love a good system, a good process, finding out what can be the most efficient way to do things. And once you've run through this a few times, it will be a well-oiled machine because you find a VA, a virtual assistant, you find an outsource partner, you find someone to help do this for you. You create the routine together. And it's just like anything. I had a massive video project I was helping a client do uh, that finished up last month, actually. And it took probably a week to get the video editor to see the exact vision we wanted. But once that was done, the next 50 videos were pretty much plug and play in the editing style. So you have to put the work on the front end to get that style, to get the guidelines, to get the process right. But once you do, it is so easy when you partner with someone to just execute this systematically. So you talked about the fact in the beginning that you did these these videos and they got 60,000 views throughout the year. But then you've now gotten those same videos have over a million views. What are some of the things you did specifically to drive traffic to those videos then? Great question. First and foremost, I learned in English class, like most of us do in high school and college, that you have to create titles that are sexy, that get people's attention, that intrigue people in some way. So did you change the titles of the videos? I did because, case in point on one video... I have a technique to induce, uh, you know, to induce, that was the wrong word, to uh, eradicate and calm nerves before public speaking. And I thought I'd be clever. Call it Do the Penguin because I jokingly call this thing the Penguin. Well, if you Google Do the Penguin. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds dirty. It doesn't give you results that are safe for work in all circumstances. Okay, disclaimer, nobody do that. (laughs) Nobody do that, yeah. Do not, do not Google do the penguin. <laughs> I am not responsible I don't, I don't for the care. results. I don't care what you're into. I, don't, <laughs> I, I am blanking this one. I am blanking this image from my mind. Do not reposition <laughs> do the penguin. Oh, my gosh. In any event, at the end of a year, that video had 1,200 views which I was pretty proud of. Now, how did I promote it on social media, in my email newsletters? It has a standalone page on the website. It got put in different client proposals, like links to see sample videos, all of those different things. That single video now has well over 100,000 views, which is a pretty significant jump, even over the normal kind of amortization rate of views over years. And changing the title to How to Calm Your Nerves Before Public Speaking change that. Number one real estate you have online is the title or the headline of any page or video or piece of content that you post. Notice that even in Facebook now you can title your videos. Hugely important. Second is the description. A lot of people aren't using the real estate on the descriptions of anything that they have to their advantage. And what I did was I created two different descriptions, and this is for YouTube, but you can extrapolate this into other areas of content dissemination, which is a unique description and a universal description. The unique description is unique to the video or the piece of content itself. The universal description is the same description loaded with great relevant keywords that you put on every piece of content mistake. Most business owners have made at some point or are still making now is they think the description needs to be about them. And I'm sorry, unless you're a celebrity, no one gives a rat's, you know what about you or your name. Is that a rat's ass? It is. I can say that word on here. Fantastic. You know, I mean, we did just talk about penguin things, penguin things and vasectomy. So (laughs) yeah, we're, we're good. But when you think about it, no one is Googling just my name. I mean, more and more as the years go on, but 
my content's not going to be found by searching for Jill Schiffelbein because number one, most people can't even spell it right. I've known you for five years and I can't spell it. Exactly. But people are going to be searching for things that I do. And if they're searching for how to be a more effective communicator, Jill, S-C-H, looks like a German sneeze, however it comes out, Google is smart enough to still bring that up. But what businesses are doing is Jill Schiffelbeiner, the dynamic communicator, offers these solutions, is based in New York City, has been doing this, and here's my bio. You're communicating to a computer to compete for being found. Your content needs to communicate to humans. Your titles and descriptions in order to be found need to communicate to computers. And computers will communicate with what people are searching for, which goes back to the importance of getting the exact questions that are being asked about your content, your product, your services online first. Wow. I, you know, I started thinking about that and, and we do drop that boilerplate you know, self-description into just about everything because we think, oh, here's my chance to sell to people. But really, I guess if, if you're answering people's questions, they're going to call you and figure out how can you sell to me. It's a very rare business model. And you see these claims online all the time. And if you have a strict online only or B2C business to consumer trying to sell one-off courses and all that type of stuff. And one, I'm not dissing you because there are some stupidly successful people doing that. Yes, you're going to have this online model with content that works and your content is going to produce sales. For most of us who have higher fee engagements with individual clients, companies, or associations and provide a service in some way and not a product, you're going to see content marketing as a long-term strategy, not a way to make a quick buck. And again, if you're a product company, then by all means, make the quick buck, have your content geared towards selling. But in the end, it's never about you. It's never about your product. It's what you or your product can do for someone or what questions you can answer for them. Wow. I told Jill this was going to be like a 15-minute interview. We're already at a half hour, so I'm going to wrap this up. But before we do, I've got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, as all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Jill Scheffelbein. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, that's a way to start repurposing your content. Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. So Jill, most of the people listening to this missed out. They either don't live in Austin or they didn't know that they could have attended the National Speakers Association lunch to hear all this stuff. So go ahead and tell the listeners of this show, what's the single best piece of content? What's the one thing you haven't said yet that, oh my God, if you do this and you commit to it, poof, your life just might change. I wish there was a silver bullet and there's not. But the silver bullet in any strategy that you have is consistency and sticking with it over time. Just because a strategy has not paid off in six months does not mean it's not going to pay off in the long term. So analyze what you're spending, be smart with the money, and if for whatever reason, do what I did, your content isn't immediately working for you like my $5,000 video investment initially find a way to repackage and repurpose it that you can then sell as an add-on service or value by adding some additional information, questions, or guidance to it. And there's a spoiler alert for maybe a future episode. Oh, ah, look at that. 
she wants the gold jacket. I can tell. Oh, that's Century Twenty One. She wants it would be a green jacket because that's the I'm the master. You know, that's right. The green jacket would be the jacket for cool things entrepreneurs do. Hey. You know what? That's actually a great analogy about podcasting because most podcasters kill their podcast for either on purpose or accident, somewhere between episodes seven and 10. I uh, have recently partnered with the Austin Technology Council, uh, my first episode of every month which, month, which is the next episode following the one you're listening to right now. So come back in two days if you're hearing this on Tuesday or go to the archives and find the one that immediately follows this is the second in that series. Once a month, I've partnered with this great organization called the Austin Technology Council, and we're co-producing episodes, and another podcaster who does business podcasts in Austin, ATC has been wonderful after the first episode about really promoting the bejeebas out of it. They've been all over social media. They've been out there totally exceeding their level of our partnership, making sure people know about the show. Another podcaster came to me and said, you are so lucky that they partnered with you. I wish I had that for my show. So I went and looked up his show, and he had an occasional show. He had done like eight episodes over like I don't know, a year plus, hadn't put an episode up in four months. And I wanted to go back to him and say, it wasn't luck. I've done two episodes a week. I've missed like 10 of them in four and a half years. It's that long tail uh, in podcasting. I'm just now feeling like my, my show is getting started at 438 episodes. And when you think of that, the YouTube story I told all of you, it was three years, no, two years and 10 months until I got syndicated with my YouTube channel and got introduced to Entrepreneur Magazine and became a video partner in their network. So again, sticking with it, making sure you're fine tuning everything over time, taking those strategies, it does pay off. That's awesome. I think this show is going to be titled How to Repurpose Your Content, because that sounds like something someone might search, search for. You know, I think it just might be, but we should check answerthepublic.com and find out. <laughs> uh, we're going to do that. We're going to title that show based on what Answer the Public tells us to do. Hey, thank you so much to you, Jill, for being here. Uh, you do a great program for companies about making decisions. So I want you to take a second and just plug your keynote and your training that you do for companies because what you're doing is groundbreaking. Well, thank you so much. It's really around how people make different decisions in the process of engaging with you. So if you're speaking, for example, to a marketing team, like I often do, it's how are people making the decision to contact your company in the first place? If you're sales, how are they making the decision to buy from you in the first place? If you're a leader, how are they making the decision to trust you, to follow you, to you know do whatever that needs to be done from a company perspective? And what I love about this is I was in academia for so long and there's all these templates and models and tools which look sexy on the surface, but the reality is if those tools, models, frameworks, messages are deployed in a less than optimal decision-making environment, it won't matter how good they are, they're not going to work. So the program focuses on understanding how someone is listening to you and making sure the environmental factors are right for them to make a faster decision in the first place. That's awesome. And how do people find you? The dynamiccommunicator.com is my website, but really I'm everywhere on social at Dynamic Jill. Again, since my last name is such a pain, Dynamic Jill. At Dynamic Jill. Go check her out. Uh, thank you again for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who listened. I say it every single time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Uh, and I'm so glad that I decided to uh, jump on and, and have Jill share what she's going to share today at the National Speakers Association Austin Chapter 
please, if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, help me reposition it. Go out there and tell somebody on social media. Post something on LinkedIn that said, I listen to this show and it sucks less than other podcasts. Go out there and, and let people know that they should tune in. Number one reason people tell me they listen to my show is they found it from a friend. So please go tell a friend. And if you like the show, jump over to iTunes and leave it or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Reviews matter. Uh, subscribing matters. Click that subscription button on iTunes. And if you don't download for a few weeks, go click it again because subscriptions or how shows get ranked. So thank you very much. We're going to be back. You want to check out Thursday's episode. It is a Austin Technology Council partnership show and it is going to be awesome. So go out there and try something new. Go get your shirt at trynewthings.shop. And then while you're out there trying something new, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.